I'm really excited to be able to kick off this series today, going through the scripture. We're going to go verse by verse through the book of First Thessalonians. So if you have your Bible today, you can go ahead and open it up to First Thessalonians, and we're just going to kind of camp out there. As we saw, this letter is to the church in Thessalonica, and it was written by the Apostle Paul. Now, Thessalonica was the capital of Macedonia, and it was a large city, about 100,000 people or so, which for that day and time was definitely a larger city. The primary ways that the people in this region worship were that they would worship either uh, the um, imperial worship or the uh, pantheon of gods, and so that's the way that these people were indoctrinated, the way that they grew up. And in other words, if you were a Christ follower in a community that worshipped the Greek pantheon of gods, uh, you were ostracized, you were not thought well of, you were someone who was on the outside, because everybody, what was the social norm, what was socially acceptable with those people was to just do what everyone else was doing. And so here you have this one way that everyone's worshipping, and then you have this gospel message being spread all throughout the region, and now people are hearing about Jesus, and they're putting their faith and their trust in Christ, and it's upsetting the social norms, what's socially acceptable. So this letter was written to a group of Christians who were anxiously awaiting Jesus' return. And the reason they were anxiously awaiting Jesus' return is because it hadn't been that long since Jesus ascended into heaven, and these people are thinking, he told us he's coming back, and we're pretty much thinking it's going to happen within our lifetime. We're thinking it's going to happen within like the next few years. And so they're anxiously awaiting the return of Christ. And they don't have the vantage point that you and I have now to look back through history and see centuries of time pass since the ascension of Christ. Now they're thinking he's coming back tomorrow. So they were really concerned about their friends and loved ones that were dying as a result of persecution or that were just dying just from disease or natural causes because they didn't know what was going to happen to them. Like if these people weren't going to go with Christ when he comes back, well, if they die, what happens? So they're concerned about all these things and they're really anxious. And another reason they were anxious is because of this persecution. No one likes persecution. No one really desires persecution in the sense of come and afflict me with pain. But at the same time, they're thinking if Christ returns, this persecution, these trials are going to end. And so they're really wondering, when is this going to happen? How is this going to happen? So they're anxious about that, and they're still trying to continue uh, to live for Christ in spite of that. They had a lot of questions around eternity because they were living for Christ, but they had questions and fears. And Paul reminds them that Christ is their hope and they should continue to do what they've been doing, to not get weary in doing the right things that they're already doing because Paul was really encouraged by the things that they were actually doing and he just didn't want them to get weary in well-doing there because he wanted them to live in light of eternity no matter what obstacles that they may face. So before we go and read 1 Thessalonians, why don't we go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for this opportunity to open your word and to share it with our church family, whether those here in the room or those in the commons area or those who may be watching us by way of online. We just pray for them and ask God that you would open up all of our hearts to receive your truth. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would empower me to speak your truth clearly and with authority and effectively, and in a way where hearts and minds would be changed and challenged, where the fruit of this word that's going to be implanted into people's hearts and minds 
God would cause the transformation that would bring you glory and would accomplish the most good in this earth and in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, go ahead and go over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, and let's begin reading in verse 1, where Scripture says, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. Now, Silvanus was just another name for Silas. So if you see Silas in the Scripture, same guy. He's just uh, giving his proper name here. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. To the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and your labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that He has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction." You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all of the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we don't need to say anything for they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Here Paul begins to immediately um, give these people props for what they've been doing right. He's telling them, guys, you've been doing really good in this area. I've heard about how much faith you have. I've heard about how even despite all the persecution and the challenges that you've been facing, how you've actually flourished. I've heard about how you've been steadfast through all of this stuff, all the cultural changes around you. You've remained consistent, and it's really encouraged me. And that's what Paul is trying to let them know. I'm seeing this because faith in Christ stirs up the kind of hope that should produce action in us. In, in verse 3, we see here where Paul says, I'm remembering before our God and our Father your work of faith and your labor of love and your steadfastness. You see, these guys had hope. They were looking and living in light of eternity. It was more than just, what can I get here? What can I do here? They were looking for Christ's return. They were living with eternity in mind. All of the things they were doing and the ability that they had to be steadfast in the middle of persecution was because they were living with eternity in mind. They had eternity at the forefront. They were thinking about eternal things, anxiously awaiting the return of Christ. So therefore, they kept saying it's worth it. It's worth it to keep growing. It's worth it to keep persevering. It's worth it to be steadfast. And they had this hope that was known all throughout the land, even despite the fact that they were persecuted. And that type of faith in Christ should stir up a hope that would produce action. And you and I should be the same way, because Paul made it crystal clear that their steadfast hope in Jesus Christ was the result of all of these things that were happening, this labor of love, this steadfastness, all of this was made clear that these people had their hope in Christ. Because our actions show what we truly believe, do they not? It's our actions. It's not the bumper sticker. It's not the jewelry. It's not the, 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 the Christian uh, symbols that we may have 
hung around our home or, or the things that we may wear. No, it's not those things that identify us. It's the fact that there is action behind what we say we believe. So do we live in light of eternity as people who have hope in Christ? Because you and I have our hope in Christ. The reason we've gathered here together is because we want to be around other people who share in the fact that they have their hope in Christ as well. Jesus called this type of thinking, this type of value system, having uh, the kingdom of heaven in front of us, in mind, as we're thinking about eternal things. Jesus said to seek first the kingdom or have eternal things at the forefront because it's about God's agenda, not our agenda. And Jesus said that if we'll have a kingdom priority in our lives, that all the things that we normally get concerned and consumed with, he said, listen, I'll take care of your needs. I'll take care of these other things, but seek first the kingdom of God. This is the priority. This is what is important. And everything else in our lives should take second place to eternity. And the Thessalonians' hope that they had that Paul was talking about gave them the strength to endure persecution and suffering. They took following Christ so seriously that it caused a radical passion and a radical devotion to Christ, even to the point of suffering like Christ suffered by being rejected by his own fellow countrymen. We see here that the Apostle Paul endured this type of suffering, where he was rejected by those people that he once hung out with, people that he was once accepted by, people that he once uh, was thought well of in certain circles. He was now rejected by, just like Christ, who people saw, oh wow, he's doing all the miracles, oh wow, he's feeding the 5,000. All of the sudden, you see these people who were once celebrating him, now despising him, rejecting him, even to the point of wanting to crucify him on the cross. And here you have the Thessalonians, they're, they're, the, the Thessalonians they're, they're suffering in the same way that the Apostle Paul suffered, in the same way that Christ suffered, because they had found something more valuable. They had found something more valuable in Christ that was worth the cost of suffering, that was worth the price that we had to pay to suffer, because a true Christ follower is only concerned about this acceptance in Christ alone. A true Christ follower has found acceptance in Christ alone. These people were being rejected by their own countrymen. Think about that for a minute. Like, we have no idea what that really looks like in our day and time, especially those of us here in America. Just because someone didn't like the fact that you were praying over your lunch at work is not persecution, okay? I mean, we may get upset about the fact that someone, you know, may say something to us, oh, well, how dare, or someone may criticize you by calling you holier than thou because you prayed or because you carry your Bible around. That's not persecution, the way that these people were being suffered, the way these people were suffering and being persecuted. These folks were just going about their normal ebb and flow of life. They were going about their normal rhythm. They would wake up, they would go to work, they would put in their hours, they would come home, be with their family, they would go to the market just like everybody else. They were doing the same stuff everybody else was doing. They would celebrate family gatherings together, they would get together with their friends, they would say hi to their neighbors just like everybody else. And then comes this message of the gospel that is changing things 
and then they would receive Christ, and all of a sudden it disrupted their normal flow because not only would they be disliked, but they would not be allowed to shop at certain places. They would be rejected. They would not be able to work for certain people because they're like, I'm not going to employ one of these Christ follower people. They wouldn't even be welcome at some of the tables at their own family for family gatherings because they would be disowned. They would be completely ostracized from the normal ebb and flow that they were a part of, that they had known their whole lives. Their normal was completely disrupted. But here's the thing. They knew this going into it. This wasn't a bait and switch deal to where all of a sudden they're like, oh no, I just lost my job because I'm following Christ. Oh no, this happened, this happened. They knew the risk. They knew the cost at a certain level. And they chose Christ anyways. Because they had found more worth in Christ than they had in social acceptance. They had found more worth in Christ than they had their job. They had found more worth in Christ than even their own family because Christ had become supreme in their life. And they had found such value. They were willing to be ostracized, hated, despised, and they chose to go the route of suffering in a culture and in a community, and in a city, a very influential city, to where all you got to do is just play the game, and you'll be fine. All you got to do is just do what everyone else is doing, and you'll be fine. You'll be socially acceptable. You'll be, you'll be approved by the majority, and nobody will say anything. You know, like, why don't you just be one of these undercover Christians, you know, curver, covert Christians, Right? Why don't you just be a covert Christ follower? Because at least then you can fly under the radar. You won't mess up anything. You could still do all the same stuff you did before, but they didn't care. They didn't want to be covert Christians because they thought that wasn't really being a Christian. They found such value and such worth in Christ that they were willing to be excommunicated, despised, rejected, just like Jesus, because they had found such value in Christ. So my question for us today is, have we found such value in following Jesus that we're no longer concerned with who accepts us or rejects us? Verse 4, Paul says that the gospel is not only something that they heard, but he goes on to write in verse 4 and 5 that it's something that they experienced. He said, you didn't only just hear this in word and deed, but you experienced this in the power of the Holy Spirit. He said, you actually experienced something, the, the life-transforming power of the Holy Spirit that made you different. So in other words, you are not the same person with the same value system that you had before. You are different, and the reason you're different is because of Christ. And you have heard it, yes, and it's great that you heard it, but you've also experienced the life-transforming power of the Holy Spirit. You are different. You are not trying to just go about the normal ebb and flow and just trying to be accepted and just trying to just do what everyone else wants you to do. You accept this and you go, I know I'm different. I know that the difference is Christ. You've experienced this. You've not only heard it in a word, but also in the power of the Holy Spirit. And he says, and you're convinced, you're convicted this is real. This is valuable. This is worth suffering for because I know that the value I found in Christ far outweighs the acceptance of the rest of society. 
You see, they chose Christ knowing what they were losing, and they still chose Christ. Jesus said it this way, and this is a hard text. Jesus said this in Matthew 10, verse 37 through 38. He said, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. That's a hard text. That's a hard saying that Christ said. That's a difficult thing. Because he's saying, am I not worth losing everything for? Is it enough for you and I to be accepted by Christ if the cost is to be rejected by other people? Is it enough? Is it enough that we may be rejected by society, but yet we know we're accepted by Christ? What about our friends? If we're rejected by our co-workers or our families, is Christ that valuable? Because if He isn't that valuable to us, then according to Scripture and what Jesus said, we are not worthy to follow Him. We haven't found value in Christ. The example that was set by the Thessalonians was one that put their future hope in Jesus. You see, they loved the message of Jesus being their Savior. They loved that message, and you and I love the message of Jesus being our Savior, where we hear about how He died on the cross for our sins. That comforts us. Who wouldn't want forgiveness? We all admit at some level that we've fallen short, and we have offended the heart of God. We all want forgiveness. Lord, please give me forgiveness. If, if, if there's a relationship with God that I'm called to have, if there's an eternity for me to enjoy God in, and the, and the barrier is sin, and you have removed the barrier of sin through what Christ has done, and He saved me, yes, I want that message. I receive that message. I want want you to be my savior but then we hear about jesus being our lord and we go whoa 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 i i just like the savior part i don't want him i don't want to have to submit to any way of doing things i want to do my own thing i want to do it my way i want to take my cool little my, my little scissors you know when i'm scrapbooking and i want to like make my own scrapbook version of scripture to just cut and copy and paste because I don't really want to accept that what Scripture says is truth, because what about this part over here? I don't like that part. Explain to me how, why I don't have to follow that part, because that's not the God I want to follow. And we want to put stipulations, and thus if we take who God is and try to make Him serve our agenda, we're putting ourselves in the seat of God. And we're saying, I want God to work in my image. I want God to work after my social acceptance and, and, and how I'm going to get the best of both worlds. Because we want to have one foot over here to get all the goodies and all the stuff that we've enjoyed and that we think we're entitled to and that we think we should have. But then we also want to get to heaven and we also want to grow as a Christ follower. So we think that we can do both. And Jesus is like, I'm everything. It's all or nothing. There's no halfway. There's no Jesus, just be my Savior, but don't be my Lord. No, He is my Savior, and He is my Lord. My Lord simply means He's my leader. He's the one that gets to call the shots. In other words, not according to my will, but your will be done on earth, in my life, as it is in heaven. 
according to your word. And if my life doesn't line up with your word, if my value systems don't line up with your word, if my life is not lining up with the value system of eternity, then I need to change. I need to align. The Bible calls that renewing the mind. I'm changing the pattern of thinking that I had before. Because before, the pattern was, as long as I can be socially accepted, as long as I can just keep operating in life as I always have, yeah, I'll do your Jesus thing. Yeah, I'll, I'll, accept, I'll accept Jesus, sure. Heaven, psh, forgiveness, psh, yeah, absolutely. I want in. All I have to do is say a prayer. Okay, yeah, I definitely want it that way. And we've lied to people telling them that all they have to do is just say this prayer. And we've lied to people telling them all you have to do is just do this and you're in, you're good, you're okay. Just go through this class, just do this thing and then you're okay. And people aren't making Jesus their Lord, but they want the Savior all day long. They just don't want the Lord because the Lord means I have to submit. It means it's going to cost me something. It means I'm going to have to change some things. It means when the Holy Spirit starts working on my heart and convicting me either through the Word or through something that He's just bringing up to me that I need to change or get in line with the value system of eternity, and I go, oh man, I'm wrestling with this, but, but you're the Lord, so, so I'm going to do it. That's me seeing the value in Christ more than the value of whatever thing I'm trying to hold on to. That's me being a person that not only says out of their mouth that they love Jesus, but a person who shows as the Thessalonians did and as Paul was commending them for. You guys put action behind this deal. You guys get it. You really do believe this. You guys are serious. Man, I thought once you guys start getting persecuted, you guys were really going to struggle. But wow, you guys have actually spread the message of the gospel. And I've heard from Timothy, you're doing really well. What an encouragement to someone like Paul. You see, if Christ isn't valuable to us, then we aren't worthy to follow him because we haven't found true value in Christ. Because Jesus said, if you value your father or mother more than me, you're not worthy of me. If you value your son or daughter more than me, you're not worthy of me. If you don't take up your cross and follow me, he says, you're not worthy of me. And the example set by the Thessalonians was the one that they put their trust in Christ where they made Jesus their Lord. But the good news is, is that our worthiness to follow Jesus is not based off of our performance. Isn't that good news? That's part of the good news of the gospel that it's not based off of our performance that makes us worthy to follow him. But however, our worthiness to follow him is based on the worth we place on Christ. As I see what Jesus said, our worth is definitely not based off of, our worthiness to follow Jesus is not based off of our performance, but it is based off of the worth we place on Christ. Because Jesus said, I'm not playing games. If you're putting your hand to the plow and then you leave and you turn around, oh, I'll go take care of this, I'll be back, Jesus. I want to go sow my wild oats. I want to go have some me time. You know, I'll come back when, when I'm older to faith, you know, when I want to settle down. When I finally want to get married, you know, make it right, you know, do things the right way. I'll, I'll, I'll get back to that. I'll get back to you. He said, if you, you're not worthy of me. He said, if you're putting your hand to the plow and then walking away, you're not worthy. You don't get it. You don't see the value in Christ. You're trying to play a game where you just want to do it your way. You're saying, I don't want you to be my Lord. Jesus is not interested in not being the Lord of your life. 
He's not interested in you serving a Burger King God that you can have your way right away. Where you can just do whatever you want. It's fine. It's not a big deal. It's socially acceptable. I don't want to be rejected after all. I don't want to be persecuted after all. I don't want to not be invited to family dinner, so we're just going to keep the Jesus stuff on the deal. You know, I want to keep my job, you know, so I'm going to, you know, I'll just, I'm not going to, you know, really serve Christ. You know, I, even at, at the water cooler, you know, someone's telling an off-color joke or whatever. Now, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll participate in this, and, and I'll just do this thing and that. Oh, it's, it's not a big deal. Or, or maybe over here, everyone else is, is punching in early, and, and they're kind of, you know, fudging on their time. Everybody else does. It's not a big deal. The companies let people get away with it from year, for years. No one really knows. And, I mean, psh, it's extra money in my pocket. They work me too hard anyways. And we justify all these little things in our lives where we're saying, oh, this is okay because everyone else does it. It's just socially acceptable because it's okay. Oh, everyone else is gossiping about that lady or the boss. or Oh, yeah, it's no big deal. I'll just jump in on that. No, you're called to be set apart. You're called to be different. And it's the Holy Spirit's transforming power that makes you different. It's Jesus becoming your Lord that challenges you to where you're willing to submit and evaluate and say, Holy Spirit, show me the things in my life that aren't lining up with the value system of eternity. And if it doesn't line up, then I need to change because I'm living for a different standard. I'm, different, I'm living for a different acceptance. Hebrews 11, Scripture begins to talk about faith, and then in verse 6 it says, without faith it is impossible to please God. It is impossible to please God without faith. So it is possible to please God. It just takes faith. It takes someone living by faith, someone saying, Lord, your way, not my way, even if it doesn't make sense, because that's what faith says. How many times do we have examples in Scripture where we see God requiring someone to have faith, to step out in faith, and to do things that did not make sense? When they stepped out, God was very pleased. When they didn't step out, God was very frustrated. But yet, we see over and over how God loves to see people trust in Him. And don't you think God's going to take care of you? If we think that we have to put God on the back burner in order to gain other people's acceptance in society, isn't that a lack of faith? Isn't that a saying, God, you're not big enough to work through this circumstance for your glory and for my good? Isn't that me saying, well, God, you know, I, you know I've been hurt before and I just don't want to get hurt again, so I'm going to do things this way. I know that it's not really the way that your word says to do it, but, you know, it just hurt really bad last time I got hurt, and I don't want to get hurt again, so I'm going to choose to just do things this way. And you're cool with that, right? Because, I mean, you know, I love you. I, I, I you know, I, I give in the offering. You know, I, I pray. You know, I, I serve and volunteer. I, I helped the old lady across the street the other day. You know, God bless her, you know. I even said, God bless you to someone you know, when they held open the door for me at the, at the grocery store. And we rationalize and we justify all this other stuff because we try to say, God, look, look at, look at what I did. Look at all these other things. And God's like, yeah, but am I your Lord? Are you going to let Christ be your Lord or, or you just want him to just be this convenient just as I have him, however I want to have him, it's just kind of my way. That's us putting and making God in our image. 
And God says we're not supposed to have any other gods before him. He's pretty clear about that. Paul told the Thessalonians, he said, you guys have been imitating us. In other words, you've been watching and you've been seeing how we serve Christ and you've been actually imitating the way we serve Christ. So who are you imitating? Who are you imitating? Because Jesus set the example that Paul followed and that the Thessalonians followed. And the fact that they received the word with much affliction, but with the joy of the Holy Spirit shows us that these people were following people who really knew Jesus. Because joy is one of the fruits of the Spirit of God on the inside of you. Even though they received the gospel with affliction, in other words, they received it knowing this is going to hurt. This is going to cause pain. This is going to be uncomfortable. This is going to cost me socially. This is going to cost me maybe my career. This is going to cost me some friendships. This is going to cost me maybe even where I can do business. This is what these people were, 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 were exchanging for the gospel. Are you seeing the value they placed on Christ? Are you seeing how people who are sold out and radical followers of Jesus place such value and worth on Christ that everything else becomes secondary? This is what these people risked. Here's, this is what they risked. And you and I aren't living under that kind of level of persecution that they were. And in comparison, the things that we have to exchange in a nation that allows us to openly practice our beliefs and where you see a lot of people claim to be Christian. Are we? Because it's easy to be a Christian in America. It's easy to call yourself a Christian in America. And because it's popular even in some so, so, uh, social circles. And I, I grew up in the South. The Bible Belt, the buckle of the Bible Belt. And man, if you didn't go to VBS in Sunday school and you couldn't, you know, name the 12 disciples, even if you were living for the world, you knew some of those basic things. And you understood, oh yeah, are, are you a Christian? Yeah, I was baptized, I did this, I went to church camp once and walked down the aisle. Okay, great. Is your life different? Is Jesus your Lord? Or did you just do everything else that everyone was doing? Because when society tries to normalize something, you may even just do the Christian thing because everyone else around you is doing it. <laughs> because that's what it takes to get accepted in that circle. But what about outside of that circle? What about when the heat's on? What about when the pressure's on? What about when the challenge is given to sacrifice, to take up your cross? He said take it up daily and die daily. He didn't say take up your cross. He didn't say take up his cross. He said take up your cross. Because there's something in you that needs to die. <laughs> there's something in you that needs to be sacrificed. There's something in you that you need to give up. There's something that he's requiring because he's saying, I'm wanting to be your Lord. Are you letting me be your Lord or are you going to reject that? All the meanwhile, wanting me to be your Savior. Folks, we can't have it both ways. He is Lord and Savior, not Lord or Savior. In verse uh, 9 and 10, we see how he said, you guys once served these idols. He said, but you've turned away from them. I've heard about how people in your community, how that's the normal thing. It's not like there's a group of like 10 weird people serving idols. 
It's like everybody's serving idols. It's like the thing. Everybody's got weird idols in their home, and it's normal in their society. And he said, you guys turned away from that. Matter of fact, most of the, the, the pantheon of gods, uh, when you would see and, and study in, in, in a lot of the, the early church days, especially with the Greeks, a lot of it was attached to sexuality. And so it was super popular to be sexually promiscuous. It's kind of popular today, too. Where, oh man, it feels good. Do it, right? It feels good. Let, let's, let's go and be with other people. Let it, we call it worship. That's what we call it. Us sleeping around is worship to our God. And that's literally what they would say. Them being sexually promiscuous was them identifying that as a way to worship their God. They had temple prostitutes where you would actually go to the temple and you would be promiscuous with someone in order to say, this is worship to God. Well, and, and it was normal. It was acceptable. Oh, wow. It's normal to be sexually promiscuous, but then when these, these Christians come in and, and start sharing about Jesus, and now people's eyes are being opened and they're seeing, wow, this is not the way. This, is, this was easy. This was, this was uh, physically fun and, and pleasurable. It was easy, and everyone was doing it, so it wasn't weird. Like, if I did that, no one would think weird about me. Matter of fact, people would think it was weird if I didn't participate in that. And that's the cost of the Christ followers were willing to pay. Saying, I'm willing to reject all of this heightened sexual promiscuity to live a different way because I'm serving the real God. Because Jesus has changed me. The Holy Spirit has made me a, a new person. He said, you walked away from these false idols that have been lying to you. You've been following after a different pattern. We've been looking for something more. You see, there are false idols in your life that are lying to you. Your idols of happiness in another relationship outside of your marriage. The idol of self-preservation out of fear of you not getting hurt again. The idol of a bigger home, the idol of a longer vacation, the better experience, the better job. All these idols that are lying to you, you just say, hey, come and, come and worship me. But here's the thing, these idols that are lying to us, they have no power to deliver on their promise. The promise to bring you joy, contentment, purpose, meaning, acceptance, belonging, or true success. They have no power to deliver on these things. Because every time we achieve another level of what the world deems as happiness or success, if you chase after this, man, you're going to be happy. If you chase after this, then you're going to be successful. Everybody's going to think you're so successful. If you make this much money, and so you go, yeah. I, I, and we get this in our mind, and we go, oh, i got to make this much money. And once I hit this benchmark, then, then I'm going to be successful. And then everyone's going to look and go, man, that person is successful. And so we'll kill ourselves to try to hit, hit that goal of success. And we do, and man, it feels good at first. And we're like, yeah, that feels successful. I can go and do all this cool stuff because my paycheck's this big or I have this title at the company. And this is so great. And then all of a sudden, you start to be discontent. And you start to think, wow, there's people that are doing the same job I'm doing that are making more money than me. Why am I working so hard for this company? And you began to look and see, well, what else is out there? Because all of a sudden it wasn't enough. You go, oh man, if I had this kind of house, this is going to be the, the place. 
Oh, yeah, and then we wrap our identity around it and we say, yeah, look at me. Look at where I live. Look at how successful I am. Look at this place. And I just want to show everybody how successful I am and, and, and how well I've done. And then you go and you look and you go, man, you know, I was watching Chip and Joanna games and those counters just aren't doing it for me anymore. <laughs> and I'm just not happy. And I got that, man, I, those other counters were so much nicer. And these are, I mean, they're nice. I mean, but they're not as nice. And then we began to be discontent with the very thing that told us it would make us happy. You, you hearing what I'm saying? We're happy for a minute. We're like, look it. And then we're like, oh, man, that's got a crack in it. Oh, I need a new one. I need a better one. I need to upgrade. And we always think upgrading is the goal and better is the goal. But when we get to better, it lies to us. It only temporarily delivers. And then we feel, oh, man. I mean, when is, when is skinny enough, you know? When is, when is enough muscle? When is enough? Like, when do we say this, this is enough? It, it, it never, because there's always someone bigger or skinnier or, or more beautiful or more attractive or whatever the case may be. And we think that this is what we got to have in order to find success and happiness and acceptance. And we're chasing after all these things that they're just lying to us. And then eventually we hit a wall and we get tired. And we go, you know what, I, I'm tired of believing these things. And so because of the big vacuum of pain that I've created in my life to try to achieve the things that I need to achieve, I begin to develop negative habits to try to fill the void. I begin to look to alcohol for the answer, drugs for the answer. I begin to look to shopping as the answer. I, I just, I, I just got to spend more. I get this high off of just having new things. Or I get addicted to food, and now all of a sudden food's become my craving, or the absence of food has become my addiction, because I think that'll get me what I wanted. And now I'm in this unhealthy cycle, in this pattern that I never wanted to be in. And how did I get there? Because I began to look to other things. I began to think that this is what I needed, and it's an idol. And all of the acceptance, the joy, the contentment, the purpose, the meaning, the acceptance, the belonging, and the true success can only come from Christ. When you decide to stop just learning about Jesus, and you raise your hands, and you surrender, and you give up, and you say to Jesus, I not only want you to be my Savior, but I want you to be my Lord where I give up. I need you. You are everything. I, I have tried to taste and see that the world was good, but it was not. It left me still wanting. It left me still wanting. Jesus is the only one who satisfies. When Jesus is your Lord, something will change. I mean, when He's actually your Lord. Not just in word only. That's easy. That's the easy part. Oh, Jesus, you're my Lord. No, no, no. When we, like the Thessalonians, begin to live like he's our Lord. You see, then we will live like eternity matters. When Jesus is your Lord, you won't have to try to live like eternity matters. You will live like eternity matters. You will. You won't have to just go, how do I do this? It'll come out of your heart. It'll be a natural overflow of Jesus being your Lord. 
You won't begin to say no to the wrong things because you just read it in a book somewhere or someone told you you need to say no. You'll begin to know because you're pursuing knowing him more. You begin to say yes to the right things, not because someone said, this, this is the list. If you hit all these benchmarks, you say yes to all these things, and you'll be good. No, you'll begin to say yes to all the right things because you begin to pursue him and get to know him more. You begin to see who he is through scripture. You begin to see who he is through gathering around with other people. And that's why the local gathering of the local church is so important. That's why Christ-centered community is so important because when you leave this gathering, you are exposed to a world that despises Christ. That living for Christ, truly living for Christ, is not socially acceptable by the majority. And I don't know if you've noticed or not, but the temperature and the pressure in our world and in our society is ramping up. Tension is mounting. We feel it. We see it in our country. And in some countries, they, they've been living in tension for years. But only recently have we begun to see an escalation of the ramping up of the pressure to be socially accepted. But yet also, you know, I still, I still love Jesus too. I mean, you know. And, it, and, we, and we look at all these people who seem to make it so easy. Oh, wow, this person, they're, they're, they, they got up after winning this award and they said they love Jesus, so they're a Christian, right? So I'm going to go buy all their albums where they drop all the F-bombs in, right? And they talk about sleeping around, but they thanked Jesus for their award, so that's good. Like I can drop F-bombs and listen to their music and I can still love Jesus, right? Can you? Because does that please God or does that grieve God? Is that bringing him glory? Or is that me trying to begin to sprinkle a little bit of Jesus on something to sanctify it when it's not sanctified at all? It's sin. You, you can't continue to do something sinful and say, oh, well, look at this other person. They do that and they say they love Jesus, so I guess it's okay for me. You can't base it off of social norms and what's socially acceptable. I don't care what celebrity says what. We're not following celebrities, we're following Jesus. I don't care what stance is taken on what issue. What does the scripture say? That's what it boils down to because if I want Jesus to be my Lord, it's there's going to be stuff that's going to be countercultural, but I knew that getting into it. This isn't a bait and switch. Well, you didn't tell me that when you were sharing the gospel with me. This isn't fair. This is going to cost me something. Come on. Yeah. It's going to cost you something, and whatever the price is, are you willing to pay it because Jesus is worth more? That's how you know you are a follower of Jesus, because he's worth more. Our worthiness to follow Jesus is not based on our performance. However, it is based on the worth that we place on Christ. So how valuable to you is the fact that Jesus has saved us from the wrath of God? How valuable is that? to you. A person who has found value in that will live a certain way. You know how they'll live? Like eternity matters. Like whatever sin that I've gotten myself entangled in and wrapped up in, well, pfft, I don't want this. I want you, Jesus, instead. A person who hasn't made Jesus their Lord is trying to hang on to their sin and justify their sin, trying to rationalize it. Oh, I want you to be my Savior, but I don't want you to be my Lord. No, it's time to submit. It's time to give up. It's time to surrender. That's what he's calling us to do. 
You see, we will be willing to forsake everything for Jesus when he's become our Lord. So my question for you today that I want us to evaluate is has he become your Lord? Has he become your Lord? Or do we just like the idea of Jesus? So let's evaluate. Holy Spirit, search within our hearts. And we know it's your kindness that would lead us to a place of repentance. It is not your disgust with us or your hatred towards us. Instead, it's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. So as we feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit, it is, it is not an unkind thing. It is not an embarrassing, shame, shaming thing. It is you are bringing the guilty to repentance and highlighting the things in our lives, Lord, where we say we have not made you our Lord like we thought we had. So, Lord, help us to grow in that. Help us to surrender. Help us, help us to see the beauty and the worth in Christ and the areas in our lives where we've made idols, where we've looked for answers from other things that we thought were going to bring us some sort of measure of social acceptance or satisfaction or that people would see that we're important or that we've made it just because we did this or that. Lord, let us cast all that stuff away to the side and live like eternity matters because, Lord, it does. It matters more than any of this other stuff that the world would want to paint before us. Lord, help us to see such value in Christ that we are willing to do whatever it takes to continue to show your glory and your lordship in our lives because we know you're going to take care of us. We know you're going to continue to open up the doors for us, Lord, to be able to do the things that you've created and called us to do. And Lord, I, help, us to, help us to know what that looks like as we take a step in faith to trust you just a little deeper than we have before. And Lord, if there's someone either by way of watching online or someone who is here in this building today who has not received you as their Lord and their Savior, I pray that today, Holy Spirit, you open the eyes so that maybe someone can reach out and receive Christ and repent and turn away from sin and from trying to make God work in their image. Forgive us for our arrogance. And help us to see the beauty that is found in Christ alone. In Jesus' name, amen.